Good morning, church. You know, she always thought of him as her miracle child, and that's exactly what he was. By all accounts, he never should have been born, at least not to her. And yet he defied the odds and found a way to get here. And from the very beginning of his life, people were drawn to him. You know, anyone who was able to hold him experienced hope. Anyone who was able to touch him, they experienced joy. People who were blessed enough to be in the same room with him, they had this sense of peace fill their hearts and their souls. And later when they tried to talk about that to other people, what it was like to be close to him, in one way or another, they always ended up talking about this experience of love, being embraced by love, encountering love, being changed by love. So many people would find that years later, they would have this opportunity to talk about just the, the amazing miracle he really was. In fact, for Mary, the only time that her miracle son ever gave her any trouble at all was when he was 12 years old. As a family, they had made the decision to travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover it was this great opportunity for Mary and Joseph and Jesus, all of them, to be able to deepen the relationships with people that they'd known their whole lives long and to also create and nurture new relationships. They were there for a few days, and then it was time for them to start to travel back home again. Mary and Joseph looked around and they realized that they, they hadn't actually seen Jesus as they got ready for that, that travel back to Nazareth. But there were a bunch of them traveling together. There was this whole group of them. And so they, they just assumed that he had found another 12-year-old to walk alongside of or maybe another family to spend some time with on the way back home. But as the trip unfolded and they started to look around and they tried to look more closely at who all was gathered together, they realized that, that they didn't see Jesus anywhere. Started to ask around and nobody had seen Jesus. And so finally they got to the place where they realized that they had to go back to Jerusalem. They had lost their son. Mary had lost her miracle child. So they asked their, their friends and their family members to go ahead and keep looking, to, to keep an eye out for Jesus. And Mary and Joseph went back to Jerusalem and they spent three days looking everywhere they could think of. They, they went to, to every place they'd been as a family and they couldn't find him anywhere. And they were getting desperate and finally they found him. He was in the temple courts and he was surrounded by scribes and teachers and they were so amazed by him. They were impressed with his intellect and his wisdom and, and his ability at just 12 years old to be able to talk about God and God's heart and the heart of God's law and why it all mattered and the difference it was supposed to make in the lives of his people. When Mary saw Jesus, she was overcome with emotion she didn't know what to say. Joseph wasn't about to say anything because he was so angry and frustrated at what Jesus had put them through. And she, she thanked the men who'd been watching over her son and they together started to make their way back to Nazareth, their way back home. And Mary said to Jesus, she, she asked him, what were you thinking? Why, why would you have wandered away from us like that? Do you know how sick with worry we've been? Do you know what you've put us through? And without anger or challenge in his voice, 
Jesus said to Mary, I, I thought you would know, Mother, where I, I was. I, I thought you would know where I would go. I had to be in my father's house. I just, I had to be here. The word stung. I mean, it, it felt like an insult to Mary that she should have known something she clearly didn't know. And it felt like a, an insult to Joseph who who wasn't actually Jesus' father, but was raising Jesus as his own. And yet Mary could tell, by the way Jesus had spoken his words to them both, that he wasn't trying to offend them. He, he wasn't trying to hurt them. He was simply trying to tell them the truth. Years passed, and Jesus continued to grow and mature, and he got to the place where he was learning from Joseph the trade of carpentry and working with his hands. And and as much as that was something he enjoyed being able to do, it was obvious to anyone watching that it, it wasn't really working with his hands that was was his passion, was his heart's desire. Jesus was less excited and engaged in a workshop compared to being in the temple, in the synagogue, being surrounded by people who were sharing their ideas and their convictions about God and what God wanted for the world that he loved so much. Jesus constantly wanted to focus on those things, to talk about those things, to offer his own ideas and wisdom and insight because he was, he was sure that somehow or another, this is what he was meant to do. When he was 30 years old, he made the decision, like so many of the young men in that culture and at that time, to strike out on his own. Mary wasn't ready for her miracle son to leave her, not yet. And, and yet with as much as she knew in her, her heart that she wanted him to stay, she knew in her mind that he had to go. She knew that, that his father, that his heavenly father was calling him to live a very certain way, to accomplish something that only he could accomplish. And even though I'm sure Mary was so tempted as any mother would be to ask Jesus to stay just a little bit longer, I'm also just as sure that she wouldn't have been able to bring herself to say anything that might cause Jesus not to answer his heavenly Father's call. It wasn't a surprise to her at all. When he did leave home, that almost instantly he seemed to have a certain kind of following. From his very first breath, people just wanted to be around her son. They wanted to be around Jesus. He was kind and he was considerate and he was thoughtful and he was full of wisdom. And he was filled with this sense of of caring about people and their well-being in such a way that, that it just made him different. It, it, it made an impression. Mary knew that, that as her son went out into the world, there were all these people in the world that would find a way not only to be close to him, but, but to follow him. 
And that's exactly what started to happen. Jesus, he he wasn't only trying to reach the people who nobody else seemed to have time for or energy for. Jesus was also speaking up for them. He wasn't only talking to them, but he was talking to people in positions of power and authority on their behalf. Jesus was kind and thoughtful and and insightful and full of wisdom, but he wasn't always gentle. You know, Jesus had this special place in his heart for people who who were struggling, people who were downcast and defeated, but he didn't mince words for the people in his world who were were calling the shots. And for him, most of the time, that meant that he wasn't mincing words for the religious leaders that were everywhere around him. He found various ways to make it clear to them that he was disappointed in the way they were representing God to God's people. He found a way to communicate directly with them his disappointment in the ways that as leaders they were not actually leading anyone closer to the heart of God, but farther away from God's will. He found a way to talk about this disappointment that he had in his heart that that Israel's shepherds were putting themselves before their sheep. And as you might imagine, these words of of criticism for the religious leaders, they were declarations that were really popular to the people who were poor and oppressed. But to to those people who were in in positions of power and influence, they'd had enough pretty quickly. They they didn't want to hear anything else that Jesus might have to say. But see, Jesus' ministry wasn't just a ministry of words. It was beyond that. And, And just as much as people were changed and transformed by his teaching. Their lives were changed and transformed by what he was able to do, the miracles that he was able to perform. Because, see, it turns out that Mary's son, he was able to create these miraculous moments in other people's lives when the only thing that could save them was a miracle. And so all these rumors began to spread everywhere. People were, were talking about this Jesus of Nazareth who wasn't just a gifted teacher, but you know, he was able to, to turn water into wine and conjure bread out of thin air. And he was, he was able to, to take away the destructive power of any illness or sickness with just a, a single touch or a simple word. He was able to walk on the water and and he was able to bring people back from the dead. And Mary, as she heard these rumors start to fill the the countryside, she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they weren't rumors. They were true because her son was, was able to do things that nobody else could do. He didn't just know things. He could he could change everything. And it was beyond her ability as his mother to fully understand or comprehend it. And she knew that all these people that were following him, well, they were several steps behind her in their ability to fully understand or comprehend what he was able to accomplish. And she, she listened to the way people would talk about her son. She watched the way people would listen to her son and it was, it was something to be able to watch a crowd of people gather around him, to hang on every word, to watch every movement. They had a sense they were a part of something. 
that they were a part of the world being changed from what it is into what it could one day be. Mary was proud of Jesus. Not just that kind of mother's pride that I think we all know in one way or another, but she was proud of of the hope that he was able to bring forth in people's lives, people who had given up on hope. She was so impressed by his ability to not only care about his followers, but to help them live deeper, richer, fuller lives, not just for their own sake, but for the sake of the people around them. They weren't just following him. They were becoming more and more like him. And things really were changing. And as she thought about the words that he continued to speak, not just the words of healing and not just the words of teaching, but words of imagination where he was trying to usher these people who were gathered around him, he was trying to usher them to a place where they could see what what up to that point only he was able to see. This kingdom breaking in. This kingdom where the last were going to be first and the first would be last and the the leaders would be servants and servants would be leaders. This kingdom that was built on mercy and compassion and it wasn't held up by violence or threat of force. Jesus wanted every single person that he ever encountered and people he didn't even get to personally encounter. He wanted everyone to be able to believe because of him that another world, a better world, really was possible. That another kingdom was calling them and they could make the decision to be a part. Mary's son wanted more than anything else to start a kind of peaceful resistance to the self-obsessed way of the world. He wanted to, to bring about a visible spiritual revolution. And this idea of a revolution, of everything changing, it started to build And it built to a place where Mary wasn't just amazed anymore at what her miracle son was able to do. But it made her afraid because the religious leaders were done. They were done putting up with Jesus. They were done trying to ignore him. They were done trying to to maybe bide their time and be patient and maybe see if he would just go away. They They got past all of that to the place where they were going to carry out specific plans to silence him. Mary could feel it. And any time she had the opportunity, she would talk to her son and, and beg him to be more careful. To have his eyes open, not just to this future world that he was trying to bring about, but to have his eyes focused on this world right here, right now, and all the people who were threatened by what he was talking about. I mean, he kept talking about changing everything when there were people in positions of power and influence that didn't want much of anything to change. And yet every time Mary would speak to to Jesus that way, every time she would beg her son to listen, he'd let her finish And then he would remind her once again of the fact that this is who he was called to be. This is what he was called to do. This is what his life was supposed to be about. And he couldn't let it go. He wasn't going to walk away just because things were getting more and more difficult. Just because he was threatening the people who were in a position to do something about it. Well, the soldiers came to get him. Eventually. In fact, they show up 
right around the time of the Passover, the same religious celebration when Mary and Joseph, all those years earlier, had lost Jesus, only to find him again. And as now all these years later, Mary watches her son, her miracle child, be dragged through the streets with his arms tied behind his back and and as he's hauled into the, the house of the high priest for a sham trial where not a word of truth is going to be spoken, Mary's overcome with a sense of regret. I mean, how could... How could he be so reckless? How could he be so careless? She had tried to get his attention. She had tried to get through to him. And as soon as she starts to wrestle with those questions in her heart, I I imagine that what she heard was Jesus' voice at 12 years old saying to her, Mom, I have to be in my father's house. I have to be about my father's work. And it had, something had to shift inside of her where she realized all of a sudden that it wasn't just his father's house that he wanted to be in, but it was his father's mission that he had to be a part of, that he was sold out to. And there was no one, not even her, who could speak him into a place where he wasn't going to do everything he could to answer his father's call, to be a part of his his father's mission to save this world and all of the people in it, to to do whatever he could, to risk whatever he had to risk in order to, to rescue people from the darkness and the evil that were in every direction, everywhere she looked. She knew that this was his choice, that this was his decision, and that as much as it was painful for her to have to watch it as much as it was difficult for her to have to face this is who he was born to be the three trials they took place so fast it was obvious that he wasn't going to be getting any justice before she could even take it all in she was watching as her son was struggling to drag his own crossbeam through the dusty streets leading to Golgotha, her beautiful boy, her miracle child, had been beaten and whipped so badly that she, she could hardly recognize him, but she was his mother. She could see Jesus underneath all of the swelling and the bleeding and the bruising. She could see her Jesus. And she made a decision in that moment that she was going to be there for him. That she was going to be strong for him. Even if nobody else knew how to be, she was going to be strong for him. She she was his mother. What else could she possibly do? We're going to start reading together now in John chapter 19, starting in verse 16. The soldiers took charge of Jesus, John writes, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, 
Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is accomplished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Mary is standing in a place where no mother, no parent should ever have to stand. She is watching her son as he's dying. She is witnessing this self-giving act of love that Jesus is willing to go through. She's watching him give his life to save countless other lives. And you have to think that what she's experiencing more than anything else is some version of the thought, this cannot be happening. Not like this. This can't be where his story has been leading after all that he has said and all that he's done, after all the the miracles that he's been able to perform and the miracle that, that he is himself. This can't be happening. But it is. I mean, Mary wants to, to look somewhere else. My guess is she wants to look anywhere else, but she can't tear her eyes away from the face of her son. She can't tear her eyes away from the face of Jesus. And as she's looking at him and his tears are filling her eyes, he opens his eyes and he looks directly at her. And then he looks directly at John, the disciple who's standing next to her. And he starts to speak words, not of sorrow and not of of his own pain, but he speaks words of a new kind of future. That only he has the faith and the power to see in that moment. He, he looks at his own mother and he says to her, I want you to look at, at John. And, and he says to John, I want you to look at, at Mary and I, I want to give you to each other. He, he speaks words that help knit their lives together beyond anything they could have, they could have anticipated, anything they could have known on their own, anything they could have seen. Jesus sees it, and he sees this future that he wants them to share together, and so he speaks words that nobody would have expected. He he speaks words that make a, a new kind of life, a new kind of relationship possible between these two people. He he makes it clear that he wants them to share life in a new kind of family. And when Jesus starts speaking, to Mary and to John. They're two simply heartbroken people watching the worst thing that they could ever imagine unfold right in front of their eyes. But, but when Jesus is done speaking, they're new people. 
Mary is a brand new mother. John is a brand new son. Mary gets a second chance at having a miracle child. She's got a second chance of of sharing her life with a son that she did nothing to deserve. And John is given the chance to to have not only the the opportunity to care for a, a woman who had to be a hero in the faith to him, but not only does he get to care for her, but she will care for him. In Jesus' dying words, there is, there is the hope of a new beginning. There is the birth of a new kind of family. There is the creation of a new community. A community that is created by the cross. And it's a community that's not just created by the cross, but it is shaped by the cross. It is a community that's only made possible. And then it's only sustained by this self-giving sacrifice of Jesus. This sacrifice that Jesus is only able to make because he has a love that never dies. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we are invited. We're called to be a part of that new community. We're called to be a part of this new family that's not based on feelings of affection. It's a family that is founded on self-giving sacrifice. It's not just something that Jesus does for us. It's not just something that Jesus does in front of us. It's something that Jesus is trying to teach us how to be and do ourselves. We aren't only rescued from our sin at the foot of the cross. We're also rescued into a new kind of life. And more than that, we're rescued into a new kind of family in which to live that new life. What I'm trying to say here is that we aren't just given grace at Calvary. We're given companions at Calvary. We're given new mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers and friends that we we get to journey through life with, that we get to journey through the life of faith with. When Jesus cries out at the cross, it is accomplished. He is declaring with victory in his voice That he has built this new bridge. It's a bridge that not only carries us forward, but it's a bridge that makes this, this unity possible that can only come from him. It's this unity where we are carried not only into the future, but we're carried closer to one another. We're, we're carried closer to the heart of God. We're carried into the mission of God. The same mission that Jesus gives his life to help bring about. And brothers and sisters, what I hope that helps us understand is the cross isn't just an end of something. It's the beginning of something. It's not just the end of our lives that are marked and scarred by sin. It's the beginning of lives that are beyond sin. It's the beginning of lives that are beyond our brokenness and our betrayal and the mistakes we make. The cross, as hard as it is and as difficult as it is, the cross is a place of hope. You know, in this season of of Advent, we are reminded of that hope. We are reminded that we are people who are watching and waiting. But in John chapter 19, we, we add a new layer of memory. See, because we're not just people who are living lives where we're watching and we're waiting, but we're watching and we're waiting together. 
you and I never are asked to watch and wait alone. That Jesus, in giving us the grace that we need to be freed from our sin, he also finds a way to give us to one another so that we can be there for one another. And you know, in this time of year, whether you're a person of faith or you're not, I feel like so much of our, our thoughts and our energy, we pour them into this idea of, of gift giving. You know, what, what kind of gift can I get you? What kind of gift can I give you? Well, this morning, may we claim again the hope that the best gift that we could give to one another is ourselves. Right, that, that gifts at this time of year, it's not something you give or you get, it's something you are. It's who you are. And so as we, as we lean into this coming week and as we continue to live through this season where we're waiting and we're hoping and we're, we're watching for Jesus to come back into our world and to save it all over again, to save us all over again in ways that we, we can't even imagine, May we hold on to our eternal destiny to not only give and receive gifts that are somehow outside of ourselves, but to be living, breathing gifts to one another. Living, breathing gifts that make hope possible in a world that, that struggles to hold on to any hope at all. If this year, 2020, has taught us anything, it's that being people who are waiting and watching is hard work but it's hopeful work. And may we embrace that truth with all of who we are. Find a way to be a gift this week to someone. I need to find a way to be a gift this week to someone. We need to be the gifts that people need more than anything else. Let's sing together now.